Hello, everybody. My name is Susan. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm currently located in Los Angeles, California. And if Erica is on the line, Erica, thank you so much for inviting me. Erica and I know each other from being in meetings together for years and years, um, and unfortunately, she just left our area. So if you're here, Erica, thank you so much. So um, you can't see me. If you know me, you know what I look like, but obviously I don't know who's here. I came into these rooms in the early 80s, weighing 250 pounds, wearing a size 26 dress. I didn't know that I was suffering from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I didn't know anything about 12-step meetings. I just thought that I had to find the right day of the week. Hopefully, I can share with you tonight how I have become recovered, how I turned the bedevilment into the 10th step promises and how I have neutrality around food. I don't fight, I don't wrestle, and I have God in my corner and in the center of my life. And I could never have done that alone, which is what it tells me from the very beginning of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, that we are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And they've told me precisely how they have recovered. So I don't have that much time, but I hope to get it all in as much as I can, and then you can make phone calls to me afterwards, which I love to get, and I'm happy to talk to anybody. So if there is anybody here new, welcome. It took me 16 years from my first meeting to get sober with my food and to admit that I had a problem, and more than anything, I wasn't willing to take the second part of the first step. I knew there was something wrong with the way I ate. It was actually a little disturbing, and I tried all of the methods. And I was definitely the hopeless thought that Dr. Silkworth talks about in the chapter, The Doctor's Opinion. But I never knew that I had an allergy to certain foods. I honestly thought I just had to find the right day of the week that ended in a Y. I wasn't quite sure, to be honest with you, how one would admit complete defeat. And what I know today is the reason why I failed for so many years was I couldn't take that 100% admission of step one, which is the one step that I have to take 100%. The others tell me that I will be restored. I will continue. I will go ahead and speak. I probably will make amends to somebody more than once in my life. And that's okay. And I do it promptly today. And I try and live with no wreckage in my life. So the best way to describe myself to you is if you've read Bill's story, I ate like Bill drank. It got worse and it got worse. What I know today is that this illness is permanent, progressive, and fatal, and there's no pretty way out of it. Um, as a hundred pounder, you know, I had some very humiliating moments in my life. I've been asked if I was pregnant. I went to a workout place once where they asked me to lift up my dress, which I can't believe I did. And he looked at my legs and he said, you're going to have to spend many hours on the treadmill. And I went to all of these places and I lost weight. They work. They definitely do. But for a girl like me, when they're over and they say, now you're on maintenance, I don't know what to do with that big God-sized hole. As I always call it, I have all these jiggy feelings. I don't know what to do with them. So I can hold on for a little bit. I can go shopping. I can look for that frothy emotional appeal that it tells me will never suffice. So then I go back to the ease and comfort of the food. And Bill talks about, you know, all of those things that he did in his life. When I first read the big book, I never really understood the part about the tombstone. And today I do. 
You know, he caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is never forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. And I too, you know, had that grandiosity with the inferiority complex the same way that Bill did. And he says he was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. And that was the window into my soul. I, we all have a story, I think, that can break each other's hearts. But what I know today is those circumstances aren't actually what had me eat. They were the foods that I was ingesting and certain things when I ate them, I was biologically compulsed. I have an absence that works for me and I have a food plan that's evolved. It's yes or no. There's no middle of the road. But I know a lot of people talk about red, yellow, and green. I'm an addict with food. I'm an addict with food of the gutter level drunk that people talk about in the big book. That's who I am. So I will always jump the light. I will always choose me. So it's either yes or no. It has to be very, very black and white. And my life isn't boring or glum at all because I have a fellowship today. And that's what tells me later on in the big book. I have a fellowship that I will crave. So I come to meetings to identify and I do work with others and with my sponsor to recover. So, you know, as we go through Bill's story and he disintegrates up until the bottom of page eight when his Ebby comes knocking at his door, you know, he talks about how drinking wasn't yet continuous. And that happened in my life for a certain amount of time. I could keep it together for longer periods, but then because as we know, it gets worse, never better. I couldn't keep it together. And then it says drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. Was food exhilarating? Not in my case. My thighs rubbing together and bleeding wasn't exactly exhilarating. And the remorse and the hopelessness and the despair kept me in that bitter morass of self-pity and I just kept on eating and I just couldn't stop. And he talks about, you know, those prodigious benders and I'm going to do this in between this and I'm going to do this and all of those things. And I paid a fortune for diets, so many, but they just don't work for a girl like me. A girl like me needs a power much greater than herself. And I just never knew that. I even went to an ashram for a week. You know, cleaning toilets just didn't do it. I did it. I was there. I did it but it didn't help me with my food addiction. The only people who could help me were others who understood. And you know, the AA 12 and 12, you know, talks about who wants to admit complete defeat. You know, all of our natural instincts cry out against it. And the principle of step one is honesty. And I just couldn't be honest. But I know today that my own human power was killing me. My food addiction held the mortgage to my soul was all the fine print that none of us ever, ever read. And, you know, I came in and out of the rooms. Everybody was so loving and kind to me, even though I disliked everybody. Don't ask me why. Well, you can ask me why I was eating. I was drunk. That's why. And I had many Ebbies come knocking at my door, living in California, especially in Los Angeles. That's the only place I've ever lived, so I can only speak to it. Lived out here in America. It's the mecca for 12-step programs. So the longer I lived here, the more people I met. It's like, oh, so they don't look like this. Oh, so they do look like this. Oh, so they're happy, they're this. Oh, there are people called anorexics. I never knew what a bulimic was. To me, being thin was all I wanted to be. I didn't know that there was something as unhealthy that's called anorexia. I mean, I just did not know this. And none of you did any ranting. You would just say, we'll be here when you're ready. 
and you were. And I finally became ready in 1998, so long ago now. And, you know, I took the hand of somebody at the time who weighed 350 pounds. She had about 15 years at the time. And we got to work. And the first thing that we did was on the Sunday when I called her crying and begging for her to sponsor me, she asked me what I was going to have for dinner that evening. And as we all know, that Sunday is not the day with a Y that we start our diet. I didn't know that I was starting on a journey to freedom, that I could walk anywhere like a free man, just like it says in the big book. And today I do do that. So she asked me what I was going to have for dinner, and I can tell you that I swallowed really hard and started to sweat, and I went very quiet. And she said to me, Susan, if you don't tell me what you're having for dinner tonight, I won't hear from you in the morning. And God spoke to me through her. And I spiritually awakened that night and it began the change, the emotional rearrangement that it talks about in Appendix 2. The word change is all in there and that was what I needed. And I went to bed that night and I didn't put anything extra in my mouth. There wasn't a lick of a fork. My finger didn't go in anything, nothing. I ate like a lady and God had started to enter my life. I'd started to enter the sunlight of the spirit and I'd let the language of the heart into my heart. I had to give up every single subscription that I subscribed to in my head and there were many. It was very, very busy up there. I had to stop negotiating. I had to stop, you know, I come from the different club. I this, I that, I this, I that. I just had to sit and listen. You know, I didn't want it to keep on being my story that suddenly I crossed the threshold and there I was eating again. There I was stuffing things down in the car because then when I came to your house for dinner, oh, I'm not that hungry. I didn't want to be cleaning up in your kitchen and eating what you left off your plate anymore. This is a girl who had her jaw wired shut for three months and didn't lose a pound. I am a chronic alcoholic with food. Today, I have incredible relationships in my life. I have no wreckage. And the other people in my life, they haven't done any work. They've stayed the same. It was me who needed to change. I once sat on an airplane coming home from England and the seatbelt didn't fit. And I very quietly asked the air stewardess. And unfortunately, they yell it all the way down the aisle. And I remember I didn't eat for that whole 12 hours. You can only imagine the resentment I built up towards so that when I landed, again, you know, food took on a different path in my life. It really, really did. So I got to work with Bonnie, and I, I do believe today that God launches a search and rescue for all addicts, except every time he came for me, I had more negotiation. Where am I going to sit? What color is my life jacket? Is this going to happen? I had to set everything aside that I thought I knew and be a blank canvas and give God the paintbrush and just fall into line in the center of the herd. I followed precisely what my first sponsor, Bonnie, told me to do. I got up and I read a daily reader. I prayed and meditated. I still do those things. I actually speak to God before I get out of bed. And oftentimes I say the set-aside prayer to set aside everything I think I know. And I think I know so many things. I pray for others. I don't want to be a prey to misery anymore. 
you know, all of those words. And I had to make that decision in step two. You know, I set that foundation for my arch to freedom in step one. And then I had to make a decision that there is a higher power and that he doesn't just exist on Sunday night. You know, and then I had to look at all of my personal relationships. I had to look, you know, who was, who was the main person? Who was the conduit? It was all me. And it says on page 53, when we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. And they asked me what my choice is to be. And I had to say yes. You know, I've already learned and there is a solution that I am without defense against the first drink. I don't remember what happened the day before. I always tell you it wasn't that bad. Seatbelt extender, legs rubbing together till they bled. That's the chronic illness of the ism of my food addiction. I forget. And all I have to do is pick up this simple kit of spiritual tools that were laid at my feet. And it says on page 25 that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life. And I can tell you that that is really true for me. I, I hadn't, didn't have a terrible life before. The one thing that was always looming was I was fat. I was morbidly obese. I had a good job. I got up and made my bed. I bought nice clothes. I did my hair and makeup. And by the way, I lost my weight many, many times, many times, up and down, up and down. And I'm never going to cross this threshold, and I'm never going to weigh more than this. A soft reminder, we have five more minutes, please. Thank you so much. So today, I will say I get to live the promises. I have an incredible life, and I know that these great events can come to pass for you and countless others as they have done for me. I am by no means special. This is available for everybody. And I'll just close with a couple of paragraphs that I love from the end of the Keys of the Kingdom on page 276 because it kind of wraps it all up with a nice bow. It says, there is no more aloneness with that awful ache so deep in the heart of every food addict that nothing before could ever reach it. The ache is gone and never need return again. Now there is a sense of belonging, of being wanted and needed and loved in return for, and I'm paraphrasing, bakery bags and boxes and a hangover. We have been given the keys of the kingdom. So I will be eternally grateful to Overeats Anonymous. I give a lot of service here because I can never give back to you and thank you enough for the life that you've graciously been given. So with that, I will pass and thank you for asking me to share this evening. Uh, good evening. Um, 